So um, my name is Megan Khan. I, I actually live in Lowestoft now, although um, I work in the Great Yarmouth area. I was, I was brought up and raised in Goldstone, which is part of Great Yarmouth, um, from the age of one to the age of 24. Um, and like I said, I still work in Great Yarmouth area. Um, and I currently work for the NHS for the ICASH service, which stands for Integrated Contraception and Sexual Health. Um, and we help meet people's sexual health needs and contraception needs within our locality. Believe it or not, before I, before I transitioned, I used to be an electrician, um, very different environment. However, sexual health is always something I've been passionate about. Um, I started to work for the Terence Higgins Trust for a while, which made me realize how much I enjoyed working in sexual health. I worked for them on a zero hour basis doing sexual health outreach work in colleges and things like that bars and nightclubs um, and I made inquiries of a friend who worked at iCash and said I really like working in sexual health what do you recommend and they told me about a job that was coming up within the service and I applied for it and they've kind of been stuck with me ever since. So Terence Higgins Trust is most what I do, what I used to do is all outreach work so we go into um, colleges, we go to bars, we go to nightclubs, we chat to young people about sexual health um, we talked to them about chlamydia screening, we talked to them about condoms and STIs, and it was just a way of interacting with lots of different people. Um, you'd get lots of different feedback, lots of different ideas, and it kind of made me realise that there is such a massive need for further education around sexual health and contraception in general. I know that they say we've come a, a really long way, however, there's a, there's a lot of sort of really poorly educated people on sexual health. Um, in this area, I can't comment on other areas, but and it just feels like it's something that I enjoy talking about. It's something that I'm passionate about. And um, being part of the LGBT community particularly, it is, it is quite a prevalent issue. Um, so, yeah, I just kind of thought, you know, um, I'd like to run with this. So I went from sort of a zero hour contract to, um, yeah, working sort of full time for the NHS. Um, childhood, I was born in London. Um, I was brought up in Goulston from the age of 11 months. Um, and I went to Cliff Park, all the Cliff Park schools, so Cliff Park First, Cliff Park Middle, Cliff Park High. Um, I went to Great Yarmouth College for a bit after I left school. I worked on some of the local holiday camps. Um, and yeah, so my, my whole sort of childhood really is, is Goulston and Great Yarmouth. I remember it being um, not quite so run down as it is now, not quite so deprived as it is now. Um, it is sad to kind of see, see the area um, sort of, you know, suffer. It was a lot busier and a lot more vibrant from what I remember, sort of a lot cleaner and a lot better maintained. Maybe it's rose tinted glasses, I don't know. But it just seemed like the area sort of, for want of a better, want of a better phrase, had more money. Um, and was, was better kept. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd say it was a fairly normal childhood, um, as, as normal as it can be. I mean, I always, most of the time, I had one parent working away, um, and my parents split up about the age of 11, but, you know, that's, that's kind of fairly normal. And, yeah, I would say that my, my childhood, because um, I've, I've got an old sister who's two years older than me, this, it was all relatively average really nothing outstanding that I can sort of pinpoint I always knew I was different I kind of I think it became more prevalent as 
I kind of understood it a little bit more as I was coming into puberty, I would say. So I always knew I was different. I knew I wasn't right. And I, I wanted to be girly, but I didn't know sort of what that meant, if that made sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and I sort of, puberty only kind of, or puberty sort of reinforced them feelings. And as, as I got older, it kind of, yeah, it became more of a realisation, especially um, as I got older and became more aware of the world and everything. I, I am transgender. I, I wanted to trans. I needed to transition. I was, I was well aware of it by my teens. Well aware of it by my teens. I can't give you a specific age, you know. But yeah, I was, I was definitely aware of it in my teens. I think the earliest time I had that sort of discussion was with one of my friends, probably in my twenties. One of my closest friends, um, and she was really supportive. She used to do my makeup. We used to paint my nails and things like that. And that was about it really at the time. And she was like, you know, why don't why don't you explore and be yourself? And that just took me some time to kind of finally say, you know, this is me. The sense of shame, I think. I, I think at the time I, I was kind of ashamed. I was, I felt like I was going to be a disappointment to them. And even when I came out to them at the age of what, 34, 35, I, I still got that sense of disappointment from them my sister not so much my parents yeah and but I'm old enough to live with it it's very much a well it's my life I'm going to do what I want if that makes sense I I don't have to worry about what you think and I don't have to worry about what anyone thinks anymore and it's that's the biggest step to overcome I think it's not admitting to yourself who you are it's being able to tell other people how comfortable you are being yourself and once you don't, you realise that no one else's opinion matters, like the saying goes, those, those who matter don't mind and those who mind don't matter. It's as easy as that. And once you get that sort of mantra and mentality in your head, it's, it's so much easier to live with. To be honest, I, I never really stuck long in many careers. Um, I left school, I worked on holiday parks in mainly in catering. After that, I worked at a job centre and the pension Department of Work and Pensions for seven years. And then after that, I fell into, I fell back onto the holiday parks into maintenance work. And that was just sort of fixing everything that broke, really. And that, that was out of that that came a desire to become an electrician because I thought, I don't want to be clearing people's toilets every day. It was, it was as simple as that. And I thought, I've got to, if I'm ever going to bet myself, I've got to learn a trade, whether it's plumbing or electrics. And I thought, I know quite a bit about plumbing, although I don't have any formal qualifications in plumbing. I thought I'd go down the electrical route. So that's kind of how I, how I fell into that as well. Um, and I've done that for four or five years. But yeah, I, I don't do it as a trade anymore. So I still help friends and family out. But yeah, I, I don't, because I, I was self-employed, I, I just don't, yeah. I don't, I do miss it sometimes, but... I prefer what I'm doing now, and plus I don't break my fingernails. I'm married, but I'm separated. Um, my my wife, I actually told her after after we'd split. Um, I actually have a 14 year old daughter as well, who's amazingly supportive. Um, I don't know whether you were at or whether you heard of Great Young Pride in 2019, our first ever. Because I'm part of the Pride committee. Well, on the front banner, the very front banner, that's Great Young Brave, Bravely Pride. I was one end and my daughter was the other holding the banner. 
we were we were in the EDP and things like that together. Um, and she's she's my yeah she's so supportive. She's got pronouns down to a T. She's fantastic. Um, after I split up with my wife, I did meet someone else. We were together for three years, and she helped me massively with my transition. Helped me massively with my my self confidence. So I can't thank her enough. Um, I wouldn't be where I am and who I am without her because that was her who helped me come out of my shell. And funny enough, I am the shell, which is really weird. <laughs> and and since then, I've just been single, really. So I've been single for oh, since February twenty nineteen. Because I used to work um, in a very well known LGBT bar. Well, it's now LGBT friendly, but a very well known LGBT bar, which is. Key Pride in Great Yarmouth. They then, or we then moved over to Duke's Head in Great Yarmouth. Um, at that time, I was working there sort of one to two shifts a week, as well as my NHS job. Um, and that was like what I call my rainbow family, you know, and they were closer to me um, than my real family. Literally, you could reach out anytime, day or night. There was always someone there to give you a hug, always someone like a shoulder to cry on. Um, and yeah, the pandemic affected me massively because all of a sudden, I know you've got the virtual world, but it's not the same as walking into the pub. I know I work there, but walking into the pub, seeing a friend, having a hug, and maybe a little cry on their shoulder, and and sort of catching up properly. Um, and yeah, that that affected me, me and my mental health massively. And the fact that I was in quite a volatile housing situation at times as well meant I I had no longer had any escape. Did you find a way to kind of uh, help your mental health? My, my main way of coping was work because I, I, was, I was working full time. Um, the other thing was I used to spend a lot of time with friends as well, just to keep myself occupied and keep myself away. Um, at one point I was practically living with a friend just so I didn't have to go home. So yeah, that was, they were my two sort of two main coping mechanisms really, because I no longer had that, that social aspect and that support aspect of the LGBT community. Although obviously we're, there, we're all still there, um, and we're all still messaging each other. It's not the same as seeing someone in person. So my mum is Indian. My dad is actually from Norfolk. He's actually from Deerham. Um, He's just moved to Acle. My mother lives just down the road, um, actually in the town close off itself. I live just outside the village. Um, have very little to do with her. As for sort of cousins and things like that, I have a lot of family based in London, Leicester. And my dad's side, mostly predominantly Norfolk. Um, as a place, I know they're trying to trying to regenerate it. Very sad in the state that it's in. Although it does get some of its sparkle back in the summer, I must admit. Um, obviously, COVID's done it no favours. And with with sort of Marina Centre being rebuilt, it's you know the, the whole seafront looks a bit of a loss at the moment. Same with marketplace being regenerated. It's in terms of LGBT friendliness, I can't say I've really had any issues. I'm quite confident to go out and about and go wherever I need to go. Um, I know some people have faced um, faced issues and have been attacked for being homosexual or, or things like that. I can't say I've ever had any of those issues. issues. Yeah, I mean, it's it's got a lot lot to offer, but it's got it's got all the usual deprived seaside seasonal town issues as well couldn't ever imagine it not being part of my life because Yarmouth is my home um even if I moved away I'd still have to come back here because I, I could never be away from it that long but 
yeah, it, it needs help. <laughs> in, in the nicest sense of the world, it, it does need, I don't know what the answer is, I really don't. So it, it needs to resume, like regain some of its form glory, I think. It goes in a similar direction to Brighton, um, which is making itself, which I, I would love to see in my lifetime. I'd love to see it become a beacon of acceptance and sort of almost an LGBT capital on the East Coast. That word, Great Yarmouth, is, is part of my earliest memories. And I, I, I don't think I could ever be away from it. For, even if I moved away, I'd still have to visit. It's, it's my home. The market chips, definitely the market chips. <laughs> people, when they come to Yarmouth, I say, when you get here, you've got to try the market chips. And I love to show people about, even though if it's winter, I love to just show people where the seafronts are, where the bars are, where's good to go, where's not good. Like, if you want to go out to eat, where's good to eat, where's not good to eat. Show them all the history, because Yarmouth has such an amazing history, and it really does. And I love to, I love the history of the town. And, like, the... The um, Time and Tide Museum, for example, is one of my favourite museums of all time. I normally go there two or three times a year just to see different exhibits, even after seeing the main body of the museum a million times. And just all of that history and the fact that King Charles or King Charles II's death warrant was signed in Yarmouth, something like that. You've got all this amazing history in all these places which people just don't know about. And it's, it really is a hidden historical gem if you're that kind of geeky. I think they've done quite a bit of LGBT stuff over COVID, sort of online. That we've got um, as as a committee, we we have got connections with people at time and time. We've got people connections with people at Yarmouth Library. Um, if you follow our page, you've probably seen that we're going to be doing a drag queen story time at Christmas, which is absolutely fantastic. So we do try and get the wider community involved as well, and try and sort of also use them as a sort of a springboard for us to reach out further. But yeah, um, they have done some LGBT stuff in the past. I don't know whether they've done a full-on exhibition when it's been out of COVID times. Um, I've actually been open to the public, but I do know I've done LGBT work before. What is community to you? Community? Um, community to me is a sort of a sense of love, acceptance and belonging, really. It, it's knowing that you've always got someone, someone to turn to or someone to talk to and sort of helping, helping others when they need it. And in return, then being there for you when you need it. And have you found that in Yarmouth? Within the LGBT community, definitely, yeah. It's um, it's a very tight-knit community. It's incredibly close. And just because I say the Yarmouth LGBT community doesn't limit our, our people just to Yarmouth. We've got people from sort of all over the country that come to us virtually every weekend or every other weekend or once a month, which we count as part of our community because they are at the end of the day and they're as close to us as our own families are, if not closer. Show how important the Great Yarmouth LGBT community is. I think the worst thing about it is the, the deprivation and the support that the, the society there needs in general. Because it's quite sad to see sort of some, of some of the situations that you see there. And, you know, it's heartbreaking to see people suffering. That's the worst thing for me is, and it's not necessarily their fault. It's unfortunately, it's a lot of the times we live in and things that people have inherited. So what, what's your hope for the future of, of Great Yarmouth? Like I said, I'd like to see it become um, a bit like Brighton. and I'd like to see it become sort of the, the LGBT sort of coast community on the East Coast, um, a beacon sort of thing. 
I'd love to see it have more investment. I'd love to see bars and the clubs come back to life. And while I think COVID's been great for staycational sense, how long that's going to stay that way before people start going back to cheap holidays? And I can't blame them. Cheap holidays abroad and not investing their money in this country. And then we're going to sort of go downhill again. And it's sort of finding some way of maintaining that that income to make the town prosperous again. Sort of just being a, a beacon of, of open, openness and friendliness and acceptance. I know that I, I say I've had no trouble. I haven't had any troubles when I've gone out, but you do get looks occasionally. Whereas sort of you, you go to Brighton and literally everyone, no one bats an eyelid. It's complete, completely normal to be trans or to be holding your same sex partner's hand or anything like that, to be flamboyant even. It wouldn't be Brighton without it. And sort of, I remember when I was working in the bar one day, I was one evening, and these lads were down from Brighton on holiday, these, these three gay lads. And um, I'll never forget, one of the gay lads says to me, so what is it with all the straight people around here anyway? And that just made me die, because I was like, you're from Brighton, aren't you? <laughs> Normal to be gay there. I think it's that thing. It's, it went through a stage of, it's great we have this acceptance, so then people who aren't as accepting then voicing their opinions, then people who feel the same, then join them. And it's it's never going to be universally accepted, I don't think, 100%. However, it's it's not up for debate. It's a fact that some people are trans, some people are gay, some people are straight. You know, it's it's not going to change no matter how much we talk about it. Um, I think the, the issue is sort of education, really, because a lot of people wouldn't feel comfortable knowingly going into a gay bar or an LGBT bar still if they were heterosexual. And I mean, what are their what are their preconceived notions around that? What do they expect to happen? Do you know what I mean? If if they could only realise that we're just people wanting to get on with our lives as well. And it's as simple as that. Sure. So I, I came out to my my partner and she said to me, there's something different about you, isn't there? And I said, Yeah, I want to transition. And I was like she was like, I'm fine with that. And I'm like, really? I was shocked because I thought that'd be end of relationship. And this was actually on a phone call. I thought it'd be end of relationship. And she's like, no, I'm fine with that. Can I buy some clothes for you? What size are you? And it started from there. And she introduced me to, to her friends and everyone as Megan or as everyone knows me, Megs. And kind of my life went from there, really. And I was still working as an electrician at the time. So at work, I wasn't out, but in my home life, I was. Um, I see my daughter at weekends. My daughter didn't know straight away. I think I'll tell my daughter. When did I tell my daughter? I think that was the winter of 2017. It wasn't, to be honest, that wasn't that long after I'd sort of started coming out to my, my friends. And the reason being was because her mum said to me, um, one of my friends saw you out in town and noticed that you're transitioning. You need to tell our daughter before someone else tells her and I was like fine and I, I sat down and I thought it was going to be a serious conversation I sat down and said you know my daughter's known I've had a Pandora bracelet for well before I told anyone that I was transitioning and she used to buy me charms I said well you know how you buy me Pandora bracelet charms I said well I want to be a girl I feel that's who I am and her response was that's fine can we still go swimming <laughs> end of conversation <laughs> I'm still her dad. I'll always be her dad. But pronouns-wise, I'm she, I'm her. Um, yeah, it's, she's great.
part of the reason why I moved away from electrical work is because it's such a macho environment. So because I was self-employed, it didn't really matter too much, although I subcontracted somewhere. Um, I, I stepped away from that because I didn't want to be in that environment anymore. And that was part of when I was stepping away from that, I found this part-time zero role with Terence Higgins Trust. And as they say, the rest is history, really. Um, I really enjoy working in sexual health. I also want to do something community support and ideally the LGBT community as well. So I don't know what angle that's going to take me in in the future. Um, but something that incorporates them sort of elements would be fantastic. So, and I'm, I just want to help people and I just want to nurture and support people and reassure people that it's okay to be you. No, no matter whether your family accepts you or not, you, you will have a family out there that will, whether they're blood or not, they'll, you'll, you'll find your rainbow family. My rainbow family mean the world to me. That's a very difficult one because cultures quite a wide, quite such a wide spectrum. It can cover different things. It can cover um, tradition. It can cover sort of local accents, and it can cover local styles and local food, and it can cover countries and areas, and it can also boil down to sort of groups of people such as again the LGBT people so it's a very difficult word to put into a description culture is sort of a way of being almost do you think there is a difference between LGBT culture and the heteronormative culture oh definitely yeah as, as within the LGBT culture it is for example it's a lot more open it's a lot more touchy-feely as in People are a lot more emotive. They're not scared to hug each other or give each other a kiss on the cheek. People talk about their feelings and their relationships and their struggles more freely. Generally, it's not so, I won't say it's not so serious, but it is, but we can talk about things like, it's easier to talk about things like sexual health and things like that, because we have a sort of, or most people in general, most people have sort of a, they're not quite so stuck up about it, for want of a better phrase. Then they don't find it so difficult to talk about because it's just part of accepting who you are. It's just being open and unfortunately identifying that the heteronormative culture is quite the opposite. Do you feel the kind of Asian part of your culture strongly? The Asian side of the family have been fantastic. Um, my mother's probably one of the ones who's taken it the hardest. My cousins, my um, my cousins, my aunties, my uncles, things like that, people like that, they've been fine, they've been great. Um, I've had, because I've got some family in Kenya as well, I've had messages on Facebook from fam like family in Kenya that I've not seen since I was like 11, saying, um, you'll find that this family is very accepting. The last people in the world I expected to hear from, and yeah, it's, they've been amazing. My dad's side of the family, unfortunately, I've not had much to do with them recently. Um, so I'm not sure how many know. And plus, I've lost a lot of my aunties and uncles recently as well. So, and they were kind of the, the main people I would see at any sort of family events. The younger ones sort of having less to do with sort of family events, I guess, as, as they've got older, who, who people more my age. So, yeah. Um, but... I find the Asian ones in particular have been great. They come down here, 
Um, I've met them in Brighton before for weekends, eh? No, they've been absolutely fantastic. Because when I told my mum, she automatically assumed I was gay. And it was like, uh, no. <laughs> then, then she was like, well, if you were different, there would have been something funny about you when you were younger. And it was like, funny in what way? What do you think I am, a serial killer? But the rest of the family, they've been fantastic. I'm not going to lie, I find it really quite frustrating actually when people blame the NHS because it's not the NHS's fault. And transitioning, to me, and this is only my personal opinion of it, it could be completely wrong, transitioning to me is something you have to do yourself. They just provide the support um, and that's the way I see it. That's the way I took it. I socially transitioned sort of three or four years ago. I changed my driving licence in 2018. I changed my bank account in 2018, all this kind of stuff. I grew my hair out, you know, I found my own style. I, the fact that you've got to wait for the support from them is kind of, it, I, can, I can get why it's frustrating, but it's something that people, the transition is something you do for yourself and the, the support that they give you is just the icing on the cake, really. Um, a lot of it's coming to terms with who you are and working on yourself to be who you want to be, I think, is... And when I see, because I'm, I'm in quite a few sport groups, and you see so often people slate in the NHS saying, well, I've been waiting six months, and I've been told it'll be another three and a half years. It is what it is, unfortunately. You know, it's not the NHS's fault. They're underfunded. They're understaffed. There's a massive amount of requests going in every day for people who want to transition or have who are curious about their gender. And the NHS is doing everything they can to support people. It's just the fact that unless you can afford to fund it privately, you are going to have to wait. And we're in a lucky situation in this country where we have the National Health Service to help people, support people with that. Whereas in a lot of countries, um, like America, for example, yes, some healthcare providers will pay for it, but not all will. Um, and unless you want to pay privately, it's, well, during your options to pay privately, which is going to cost you tens of thousands of dollars. So from that point of view, I think, I, I get it, it's frustration, but it's, it's something that, you, you sort of have to put the effort in for yourself first. I mean, I was a bit naughty. I self-medicated. Um, I, I got my hormones from abroad, um, but my doctor knew, knew what I was doing, so they was aware and supported me blood tests and things like that. So by the time it get, finally got to the NHS appointment, it was like, great, it's just another appointment. <laughs> you know, the, the, the final bit is kind of, the final bit for me now really is surgery, and I have my surgery... Uh, appoint, surgery recommendation appointments on the 31st of January. So I have two meetings with clinicians on that day, um, basically to make sure that I'm of sound mind and I know what I'm, I'm electing to have. Um, and then after that, then I get put in touch with a surgeon and things start really happening, really.